You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. to force perspectives for the mandalorian chapter 21 yeah 21 yes. uh, the pirate i uh, i am your host michael cohen and with me as always the illustrious joe hogan whoop whoop i i can't believe i missed last week i can't <laughs> believe i missed that episode you were missed you like were bad missed. batch whatever Oh, I mean, it was a good episode. Last no, week, it was right? solid. Not whatever. Um, yeah, like, and and I keep saying, I've said it. Next week will be the first time that I don't get to say it, only by virtue of the fact that Bad Batch is done for the season. Mm. But I cannot believe that we got five weeks in a row of just phenomenal Star Wars storytelling from both of those shows. Like Bad Batch, the beginning of the season was a little bit hit and miss for me. Um, I know that other people really enjoyed that crosshair episode early on in the season, but it really wasn't until the mid season two parter that that story started to like come together for me. And that was right around the same time that Mando started airing. And then it's just been like, bam, bam, bam for the last five weeks of just incredible stuff coming out of both of these shows, just delivering exactly what I want from star Wars. Um, and, and so next week is going to be weird where it's like, all we get is Mando, but it, I, I the moon's what, over. Yeah, like what? What a like an embarrassment of riches for the last five weeks. Because it would have been one thing just to get both shows at the same time. That would have been enough to be like, wow, I can't believe we've got Star Wars animated and Star Wars live action content at the same time. But then to turn around and be like, both of them are so good. And last week to have Ahmed Best return as Keller and Beck, I to save Grogu and just like, come on, man, <laughs> come on. It was so, so good. And then the, the, the more dragon slaying stories for Mando. I, uh, I uh, last week, it's just like, I, it, I don't know, man. There are people who will complain. There are always people who will complain. There is always going to be discourse, but for me, this season of Mandalorian is I think pound for pound, the best season of the show yet. I like, yeah. And like, obviously including Boba Fett into that doesn't really mean much, but I, cause that show was so all over the place as much as I like it. It's so all over the place in terms of quality. Um, but yeah, like last week's episode phenomenal this week, just like, Oh, you thought last week was good? Here we go, pirates! <laughs> and it was just like from the get go in this one, man. I was just floored. I was, you know, twelve o'clock at night. I started a little late. I started about twelve fifteen, and I, uh, I, it was just like, is this real life? 
Like, literally, like, I had to stop and go, like, this is really, like, a show that I just get to watch. Like, this is a Star Wars television show that is just, this is just an episode of this show that I just get to watch. And then Carson Teva shows up and is like, I'm going to go to Coruscant and I'm going to talk to Tim Meadows. And he's just like, <laughs> I don't, I, this is exactly what I want from Star Wars. And I, I talked about it a couple of weeks ago with Andor, right? Like talking about, about the Andor parallels and stuff and, and comparing things and all of my opinions on Andor. I, this week's episode couldn't have cemented that more for me that like Andor is fantastic. It's incredibly well made. It is not Star Wars for me because this is Star Wars for me. Like even like the political stuff in this is a little bit more of what I want. Like it's a, like it's kind of almost there's a point with the Tim Meadows character where it's almost like Parks and Rec a little <laughs> bit of like the way that he's sort of like yeah. Listen, I'm a requisitions officer, so what are you requesting? And I was just like, that's a line. Like what a like what a beautiful piece of writing. And then to go like, you know who we need for this one? The ladies, man. That's who we need for this one. Uh, and and bringing in Tim Meadows, who I always like Tim Meadows is cuz he's he's part of it, it, you know, there's always the thing of like who's your what's your favorite? What's the what's the best at SNL cast, right? Like, and, and the, the, it's like the bad, what's the best final fantasy. Um, and it's usually, it's usually the one that you grew up with, right? The first final fantasy you played is your favorite final fantasy game. And the, the, the SNL cast that you grew up with as a teenager is your favorite, is what you think is the best SNL cast. And so for me, it's like the, um, Will Ferrell, Chris Kattan, Tim Meadows, I, I like that, that group, um, is, uh, Horatio Sands even sort of which is a little bit later in that run but like still part of that group uh, even Jimmy Fallon to a certain degree less so but he's got some <laughs> good moments that's my like that is uh, like like I, I that's my SNL cast and so anytime Tim Meadows shows up in anything I it always makes me happy um, and uh, and he just he crushes it in this one like what a perfect civil servant like pain in the ass bureaucratic red tape character where it's just like the the introduction to him of like talking to the r2 unit of like don't no don't put that there that's my workspace and it's just like i like it when we get these weird little mundane moments in star wars of like that's right. There are just regular people in this galaxy too. Not everybody is Luke Skywalker or Han Solo or Princess Leia, right? Like there's also just a guy like going to work in order to like like <laughs> you know, we can't we can't get in the way of industry, you know. I uh, and yeah, like like it just I don't know, I loved it. I loved every second of this episode. How did you feel about this episode? Mike we got Zeb. Oh my god. We got Zeb and he looks great. It's Steve Bloom doing the voice. Yeah. I did not think the first Rebels character we were going to get would be Zeb. Yeah. I'm so happy. <laughs> like I I know everybody with the cameos is like oh yeah. cameo yeah. Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. Shut up. 
It's not yeah, for no, you. Sh- yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Shut, Shut up. up. Shut up. <laughs> I, yeah, and I we got it, Zeb. I did I say it to you? It's like I didn't. Yeah, like like Mando is a Rebels sequel. It was a Rebels Rebels yeah. sequel all along. Yeah, we didn't know it, but we should have known it because there's a lot of Mandalorian stuff in Star Wars Rebels, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh yeah, no, this is a this is just a this Ahsoka is not the Star Wars Rebels sequel. This was always the Star Wars Rebels sequel, and Ahsoka is a part of this. Um, yeah. Yeah, getting Garza Borelios in live action uh, was not on my list. It was mm-hmm. not on my list because I just, <laughs> I don't know that I dared to dream that big, you know? And I, sh- and I, and I should have listened to Tom Hardy and I, I didn't even, a little bit bigger. I didn't think we were going to get him in Ahsoka. Yeah, no, no. I, it, it, and, and to be honest, like the, the character shows up and I was like, oh my God, a Lasat in live action. I had the exact same thought until he said like two or three lines. I was like, and no he, way. Yeah, and then he spoke and I was like, they couldn't get, like they couldn't make him sound a little bit different from Zeb. <laughs> and then at the end of the episode, I'm like, no, nah, that's Zeb. That was Zeb. No, that was, that was Steve Bloom. That was Zeb. Like that's, that's who that is. Um, and I was, and I like went back and I was like, I can't believe it. And then like people posting screenshots and stuff today. The the Karen attention is off the charts because oh, he looks, so he looks every bit as good as he would in a feature. He looks so good because I think the first time we saw like a live action, quote unquote, was in Jedi in Fallen Not Order. Survivor. Yes, Fallen Order. I couldn't think of the name of it. Yeah, because like uh, Cal's master is a yeah is a little yeah. Uh, Jaro Topal. Yeah, he yeah he, he, he but like. Yes, live action, but Quote also live action. still yeah. animated, right? Sure. Like it's like it's bridging that gap. Yeah, but uh, which I mean, obviously, you know, this is a CG character we're talking about, but um, certainly less stylized than Rebels. Yeah, yeah. I just, yeah. I mean, incredible. So I can't believe good. we got it. I can't. I'm it's still so in disbelief. So cool that we got it, and it's such a like throwaway thing. But at the same time, it's like. Okay, so you know, uh, Carson and Zeb, they hang out. They're they're both uh, what is it, Adelphi Rangers? Um, right. Yeah. So here's Tra- here, Trapper Wolf was there. Yeah. I think Deborah Chow was there too, right? I uh, yeah, and um, I I I Rick Famuyiwa's character Jib Dodger is also there. So, oh, cool! I didn't notice him. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's credited at the end at least. So it's like it's one of those scenes of like go back and watch it again. Like yeah. you, know, you got to go back yeah. and like freeze frame and look around and go, okay, cool. Well, when you um, see Dave's hat, you can't miss it. Right? Yeah, it's like oh, okay, obviously. yeah. Um, and uh, and Y wings, we got to see Y wings. Uh, yeah, Y wings, which was cool. Um, yeah, man. I so <sighs> let let me ask you something because I. By the end of uh, Captain Tiva's, like, not last scene, not not the scene where he finds the yeah, shuttle, the post credit um, scene sort of thing, yeah, right, not that one, but like by the t- from from the beginning that we saw him to the point where he drops off the hologram to to Din and and then leaves, yeah. it all felt very Cara Dune. All of all of those things felt like. 
if Cara Dune was still in the show, she'd yeah. be the one doing these things yeah. right now. Um, so listen, I've talked about this already, right? The the reason why Book of Boba Fett ended up in this weird like mishmash of like, okay, and then we're gonna stuff two Mando episodes in the middle of this is because I firmly believe that those two episodes were gonna take place somewhere within Rangers of the New Republic. Mm, okay. uh, I also think that like this storyline, I also think that the um the because of the fact that this storyline, like these scenes with Carson Teva, I uh, on Coruscant, <clears throat> they involve I I uh, Elia Kane, right? Elia Kane. Is it Elia right. or Elia? Elia. It's Elia. Elia. Now I'm not sure. Who knows? <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. I. I think all like and and all of the stuff with Pershing. I think that. I think all of that was meant to be Rangers of the New Republic story Mm, um, and that there would be more. Right. And I'm going to break everybody's heart right now. We got this little bit of Zeb. I think he was supposed to be a character because like they're, they're the Adelphi Rangers. I think he was supposed to be a lead character in Rangers of the New Republic. I don't think it's the last we're going to see of Zeb. Right. Cause I don't think Mm. this is the last that we're going to see of the Rangers. I think that the Rangers are the beginning of the resistance. I think that Carson is going to go to Leia and say this because obviously, obviously, come on. Carson is on the trail of the first order. Yeah. There Every time we see him. Yeah. No doubt in my mind. He knows that something is up. His gut is telling him there's more happening here. His gut is the force, obviously. Right. It's Star Wars. So anytime a character says, <laughs> I don't know, this feels weird. That's the force. The force is telling him there's something else going on here. That's what Rangers of the New Republic was going to be about was. And I don't think it was going to necessarily be him. I think he was going to be a character in it. Obviously, it was going to be starring Cara Dune. Right. But um but I think like this was going to be the story is that like while this stuff is happening with Mando. And while this stuff is happening with Ahsoka over here, we've got the Rangers and you've got like these characters and they're tracking down like Gideon has been uh, it, like this was it wasn't as uh, uh, an attack. This was an extraction sort of thing. Right. It's like so obviously somebody rescued Gideon. It's the first order. Right. Like that's like that's where with, we're at right with, now. And I, I, I don't even think that. It's a, it was, so here's the thing. I wouldn't be surprised if we find out that in, in like, like retconned cause we've never, there's the, I think there's like a comic or something that like implies that Phasma's armor is made of the, uh, the Naboo, the Naboo. The yeah. Naboo, like Padme's Naboo, Naboo yeah. uh, fight or Naboo ship or whatever her Royal Starship. Um, <laughs> But I wouldn't be surprised if they retcon that and say that Phasma's armor because it deflects blaster bolts, right? So, like, the, they'll She's go back and they'll say that though, it was right now. It's I don't think that it's Phasma. I because I don't think that we'll see First Order stormtroopers in the okay. way that we saw them in in the Force Awakens. I think that we're gonna in the way that we're seeing the TK units in Bad Batch. I think okay. we're gonna see some. Gotcha. We're gonna see something that bridges the gap between 
the uh, uh, um, stormtroopers, like old old TK yeah. classic stormtroopers, and the first order stormtroopers. That's actually and pretty it, neat. I would like I, that. And I and I think that among them will be some Mandalorian super commandos. Uh, that like in in the same way that we saw them in Star Wars Rebels, I think that we've mm. got a similar situation. Well, where what's either that or the... like, but because we know that we know that that um that Gideon like looted Mandalore, right? That like when they when right. like, he, he took the dark saber, so he's got Beskar as well. I wouldn't be surprised to find out that there are Beskar dark troopers. Like, Is Gar Saxon like, dead? I don't think so. I don't think so. I I think the last time that we saw him, he was still leading the Imperial Super Commandos. And Fen Rao is still alive, right? I don't remember. Fen Rao was either. still alive at the end of of Star Wars Rebels. Yeah. Okay. Because and and because Fen Rao was with Bo Katan when right. okay. Sabine gives Bo Katan the dark saber. Because Bo Katan like Sabine gives Bo Katan the dark saber and then we don't really check in with the Mandalorians after that. That's like sort of the end of that story. And then we go into the end of uh we go into season 4 cuz that's where, that's a lot of season 3 stuff, right? Mm. I it's so funny cuz I've watched season 1 and 2 quite a bit. Like I think I've watched them. It's one of those things of like what you like kind of like watch them again in the lead up to the new season. So like season 4 is the one that I've seen the least. I've actually seen most season 4 episodes only twice. Um which like that's most people have only seen these shows once but like i don't know season three and four as well as i know season one and two i know right. season one backwards and forwards uh, but so but, so gar yeah, gar saxon is dead is he dead uh, okay. he and sabine had a lightsaber duel he had the dark saber she basically uh got it away from him and was going to spare him and then ursa ren shot him and killed him because he was uh like she let him go. Sabine let let Gar Saxon go, and he was going to betray her when she turned her back. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. Ursa Ren just shot him. Okay, so apparently he's dead. So but bummer. Was I was I was like, ooh, that'd be that'd be a cool one. I'd like to see the live action like mauled Beskar come back. But yeah, you're right. He was also the Imperial Super Commando, the Mandalorian yeah. Super Commando. Bummer. That would have been cool. Um, Should have been Josh yeah. Brolin. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah i i i think i think that there are i think that there are mandalorians that are loyal to gideon i think that that's the okay. implication here um but that it's going to be confusing because it's like okay beskar why is there beskar like did the mandalorian are the mandalorians the ones who broke out uh, well gideon there's kind of two connections already, right? Because the first one is uh, he had the Darksaber somehow when we first met him. Yeah. So he's dealt with Mandalorians before. Maybe he was the leader of whatever Mandalorians broke him out just now because he yeah. it got the Darksaber from one of them and now they're all following him. Um, and then the other one is, you're right, he... The what was his name? The client, right? Yeah. Uh, he had Beskar, so yeah. and he was following Moff Gideon, so there was already Beskar kind of circulating in, in, in like Imperial possession. Because you're right, they they sacked Mandalore. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I it, the 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 other the other possibility is that the first order hired the night owls to break Gideon out um, because they have his shit. Oh, right. Cool. So it like like that's that is that is something that could make sense where they're like where um and I'm gonna until we're proven otherwise I am going to keep referring to it as the first order because I think that's what's going on right mm. um but yeah that that they're they're the ones pulling the strings at the end of the day um and that that the goal is to get Gideon back for some reason because Gideon has some knowledge that other that nobody else has i don't know there's something that i mean like let's be real it's giancarlo esposito so we're not going to get rid of him he's going to be around um when you have one of the best bad guy actors in the biz uh you just keep you're just gonna keep breaking him out and bringing him back and making him the bad guy uh over and over and over again why waste it i so yeah i uh, but i i think there's there's a possibility that we could see that the night owls are are with Gideon, and that would be like a real blow to Bo Katan, and I think would further cement her in her allegiance to the Children of the Watch, right? Mm. Um, yeah. So I, I I think I think that's what's going on there. I have a quick question about that. Uh, the scene with the Beskar in the shuttle. What exactly was the Beskar residue? Because, like, that final shot, I didn't know what I was looking at. Like the fragment. It's 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 like a... It, it was like a chunk of Beskar. Like, it was like something broke off of okay. something. Yeah, there was like... It, it's, it's, it, it wasn't... It wasn't like a big piece of Beskar, but it was like Beskar was a part of it sort of thing. Okay. I don't know. It's 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 confusing, but so the little probe yeah thing scanned it and I guess found trace amounts of yeah. debris or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Which uh let's call that out for a second. How rad yeah. was it when that yeah. little bit popped out of the astro yep. and and uh and yeah and flew over that. I was just like man Star Wars is so cool. <laughs> just it's um it's those little things that bring me so much joy in in watching these shows that I feel like a lot of people just take for granted because that's such like a and I know like like people people say this in a negative connotation all the way all the time but it's such a it's such an action figure moment of yeah. like check yeah. out this little accessory that yep. this R2 unit has where the, you know and it's like so R2D2 could have done that as well we just never saw him do it because we've seen that little camera pop up we see it in Empire right um it's just, we just didn't realize that he can fully eject it and then control it remotely in 0G uh, mm-hmm. which is just like so cool just fantastic um, and speaking of accessories uh can we appreciate for a moment that when you uh when you call a meeting in Mandalorian culture you have to be holding the talking hammer to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? I love that. It's, it's so silly. It's so silly, but it's like, okay. Awesome. It's just another it's just another simple thing where it's like we don't need to explain it. We don't need to it doesn't stop anything. It's just like 
it's just a piece of business for the actors to do that <laughs> that just like adds a little bit more depth and flavor to Mandalorian culture where it's like no like she is she's like their um their uh, uh their spiritual leader right she's not she be because of the fact that they don't currently have a Mandalore right like they don't have a Mandalore the Great or a Mandalore the the what what's the one what is he called in it's it's a shame that uh, that Kyle's not here uh Mandalore the Ultimate or something like that I can't remember mm-hmm. what he's called in Kotor but they called him they call him Mandalore the Great in uh, in in this in Ma- in Mandalorian um so that like they don't have a leader right now they don't have a what a king or a queen or you know whatever you know a duchess or whatever that's actually my <laughs> question because yeah. now that din is no longer an apostate yeah he has the dark saber why isn't he the leader cuz he just cuz he just hasn't he's just not he right like i think that's what it comes down to is that he just isn't um if he pulled out the dark saber and said, follow me because I have the Darksaber, they would have to listen. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't see himself as that person. No. Um, and I think the interesting thing here is that as we see Bo Katan take her place in this hierarchy, it becomes more and more apparent that like I don't I don't think Din is that guy. Like I don't think that yeah. Din is meant to be the the king arthur figure which like i think early on we were kind of like maybe he's supposed to be king arthur um when i talked to marie claire from what the force about this she's always like i think he's more percival and i'm like okay i don't really know what that means like i know that percival is one of the other knights i i or um she's like he's either percival or lancelot it's kind of unclear at the moment right like we don't have enough information but I, uh, but he could be either one of those. I, I the Percival thing is because of the spear, I think, because I think that's what like Percival uses a spear. But mm. um, I don't know enough about Arthurian legend to know, like, to be able to sort of put these things together like that. Um, and I don't even like know where to start with well, it, sort of thing. But Star Wars also takes liberties when it. Oh, for sure. Adapts these things anyway, so it's not like Din has to fit into that. Like it has to be Lancelot. It has to be Percival. Yeah, but But, same kind of thing. Supporting role for our King Arthur, who is clearly now turning into Bo-Katan, who is very comfortably kind of uh, and naturally um, just kind of rising to the occasion and just being a natural leader. Yeah, and I and I think like that's what it comes down to is that like. Um, the end of this episode with with the armor being like you walk in both worlds, you're like you understand like now you understand the value of our traditions, but you are also a night owl. You are also this other thing, and I think that's why that's why it's that's why her armor wasn't damaged in the way that Din's armor was damaged in in season one. So. What, like one of the things that you have to do is like you have to sort of run everything back to season one and and there have been a lot of complaints lately that like din isn't like his arc isn't going anywhere and it's like well yeah he finished his arc and like he's not done he's not a complete character and that's not how hero's journeys work 
that's not how heroin's journeys work. It's not how any of it works, right? It's a it's a cycle. It's it's a it's a circle for a reason. And you like the by the time that you finish, you start a new one, right? But it doesn't. It's not. It's not continuous in the sense that you are always in a hero's journey. Right. That doesn't necessarily have to be the case. There are pauses between these journeys. There have to be. Um, there has to be a reward for the lesson learned, right? And that's like Din went off. He had his hero's journey. He learned that grogu like he and grogu both learned that they are each other's family they came back together and now they get to live that for a little while they get to be din and grogu right without like oh we have to like be doing now grogu is 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 still mid hero's journey for himself um and 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 i think like like last week's episode was a pretty major step forward in that hero's journey with like sort of unlocking those memories of, of Keller in and all of that stuff. So we'll see how that progresses over the course of the season, but there's like Din is static right now for a reason. And it is because a, we have, we still have Grogu. He's in the middle of his journey. And now we've got Bo-Katan coming in and Bo-Katan is at the beginning of her hero's journey. So she is literally last week in her egg episode right like like with the mud horn and she loses the pauldron she's fighting an, an animal a creature she loses the pauldron and then the armorer makes her a new one right um but she didn't she doesn't get a completely new set of armor because din the 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 armor for din represents like like his new um the new persona that he takes on right he was he was a bounty hunter before that. And then the people complain of like the N1 is a terrible ship for him because it's not a bounty hunter ship. And it's like, I don't know if you guys have been watching the same show as me, but Din Djarin hasn't been a bounty hunter since the third episode of season one. Like, <laughs> like he, the second that he broke the code, he's no longer a bounty hunter. You guys, he's not in the guild. It That's not his life. He is not bringing them in warm or bringing them in cold. He's just, he is, grogu's protector right like that's like that was his role and then he's completed that journey and all that stuff but but symbolically for Bo, the she doesn't get a whole new set of armor she just gets the pauldron to represent like now you are you are of both clans you're a night owl on one side on one shoulder and you are potentially the the mandalore on the other side, because you've you've you know chosen the Mythosaur as your signet. So, did you um, did you notice the detail on that Mythosaur signet? I mean, like I looked at it and think that it's fantastic. But what detail are you talking about? The eyes on the Mythosaur are night owl eyes. Oh, I didn't put that together. That's isn't interesting. That, isn't I, that sick? Yeah, <laughs> I so clocked good. that it was that it was like stylized. It wasn't. It's not Boba's Mythosaur, right? Which, like, that's obviously what we consider, like, the classic Mythosaur symbol because it's the first time that we see it is on Boba's right. pauldron. Um, that's interesting. Actually, wait. Hold on. I might have a JPEG right now that I can send you so you can see it. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I do. Because I saw it on Reddit and I was like, oh, I definitely didn't notice it, but I appreciate awesome. it. Yeah, um, I send it to you. 
Yeah. So like I, I, it's, it's one of those things I'm, I'm still, I'm so that's awesome. Isn't that sick? <laughs> yeah. 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 The way that it like, yeah, it comes down in that. Oh man, that's so perfect. Um, yeah. Oh, that's so good. The, the, this show <laughs> cool. is so good. The show is so good. You guys. And there are people out there that want to tell you that it's not good because they're mad that it's not doing what they wanted it to do. But, and because of that, they're ignoring what it is doing. And look like season two was a little bit shaky because season two spent a lot of its time establishing the wider galaxy that this story is taking place in. And it sort of went on these detours of like, okay, now we're going to go meet Ahsoka and now we're going to bring back Boba Fett and now we're going to do this and do that and blah, blah, blah. Um, and introduce Cobb Vanth. And like, like the whole season was about introducing other characters. I, I, but then this season has come back and like, I just find that it's, it's just, it's tight. It's on point. It's focused. I know that there's a bunch of people who are like, there's no plot this season. I don't know what show they're watching because I'm watching this show and I'm like, there's a hell of a lot of plot this week in particular, this whole aspect of like Navarro is now the new Mandalore, right? Like that's a major turning point in this story of like, you no longer have to be underground. You no longer have to hide. You are now like nobility on Navarro. Um, you're now the protectors of this of this world, and to me, it's like that's just. I, it's not where I thought that any of this was going, but at the same time, it's like like this is exactly where it needed to go. Like it just it makes so much sense. Um, it's so perfect, I think. I uh, and Din's whole speech, the beginning of the episode, uh, telling of like you know like we don't have to hide, we can be, uh we can be what we were. Right. And like the end of the episode, when grief is like, you guys are heroes now. And then we like pan over all of the Mandalorians and it's like, awesome. Right. And it's almost, um, these actions once again, Grogu is the elixir, right? That's the point of a hero's journey is that the hero goes out, they go through trials, they have a death and a rebirth. They learn something and they they gain abilities that they didn't have before or knowledge that they didn't have before. And the purpose of that journey is to co- come back to the village with the elixir, to return with the elixir and spread that knowledge, that, that power, whatever, to the people, right? Um, to the community. Like you return to the community and you make the community better for having gone out on the adventure. This is not something we get to see in Star Wars very often because the story usually just kind of ends, right? Like mm. it's I I in in the original trilogy, you know, we kind of I uh, we finished the trilogy and that's it, you know? Like like Luke learns to be a Jedi and then he comes back and presumably the new Republic flourishes and everything's great until they want to tell more stories. And then they tell us that everything's horrible, but uh, which I'm fine with, I'm, I'm okay with it, but uh, because we're getting some really cool stories as a result, but, um, but star Wars often like, like it, it, it doesn't get to this point of like what happens after 
the hero returns with the elixir. Din went out into the galaxy. He found Grogu. He learned about, you know, being a father and community and friendship. And like, cause that was really like, it's one of the wildest things about this show is like, that's really what a lot of this is about is that Din Djarin <laughs> went out into the galaxy as this lone gunman bounty hunter and discovered that actually it's better to have friends than it is to go it alone. <laughs> so literally like the power of friendship is the point of the Mandalorian so far. And he's now come back to and Grogu represents that obviously, right? Like as this familial bond, Grogu is also a healing force himself, both like literally and figuratively. Um, everywhere he goes, everything Grogu touches eventually is healed, right? Like, like his intention is <laughs> always for the little eggs he ate. Except for the eggs poor, they ate. Poor lizard lady. But, I mean, like she does. The fro- frog lady does end up, but they have their babies. Um, but I, a couple, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. There is still an aspect of that episode. It could that could have been fixed had at the end he just like barfed them all back up. That would have been jar. hilarious. Um, just like like he learned his lesson of like, oh, these are special, and then just like puked them all back up. Um, it was like, where are you putting those, dude? I uh, but uh, anyways, um, <clears throat> yeah, like like it started with Navarro. It started with Grief Karga. He literally like Grief was a bad guy. And then he gets attacked by the pterodactyls, right? And poisoned. And Grogu heals him. And when Grogu heals him, suddenly he has a change of heart. Suddenly he's a new man, right? Um, Which is mirrored the same week in Rise of Skywalker when when Rey heals Kylo Ren, she heals Ben Solo. That's like, like, like physically she heals the wound. She stabs him. Kylo Ren dies. She heals him. Ben Solo returns, right? Like that's, that's literally what happens. The, the force is not just about the physical. It's also about the spiritual. And so when you do that, when you heal the physical, you are also healing the spiritual. I like, I believe that that's part of the message with, with these healing abilities. Um, and, and so that like then also transfers into Navarro as a planet. It, it, I, you know, I, it happened with Boba as well, right? Like Boba is a part of this whole thing and is like by virtue of, you know, Grogu is connected to Din and Din is connected to Boba and that heals boba and all of a sudden boba is no longer you know this out for blood bounty hunter with you know his own set of rules and morals he's like no no we're gonna fix tatooine like that's what we're gonna do we're gonna we're gonna make this a better place (laughs) and it's like he could have just gone and been like i'm just gonna be another crime lord i'm gonna do exactly what jabba did and he's like no i'm not gonna rule with fear i'm gonna rule with respect right like and and over the course of that, he's just like every every opportunity that he has to be merciful, he is, right? And sometimes it comes back to bite him, but more often than not, it ends up paying for like like it, it he 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 reaps the rewards of that in the end by the end of that season. So, um, 
yeah like everywhere they go the 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 world is made better for it right um all of the Caradun, the real world meta Caradun stuff aside that was another character of like she was on her own detached and you know like that connection turned her into a hero and she rejoined the new republic and you know all that stuff so um and i believe that that would have continued had that character continued so um it's now happening to the covert the covert is no longer the broken i i cult that it was and it is becoming a community and the armorer allowing not just allowing but telling bo remove your helmet right like that i wasn't sure where that was going and then you yeah, see it and it's like and it's like okay like maybe this isn't as none of it is as cut and dry as it appears on the surface right like like i but this is also one of those things about cult leaders is that it's like well the tempo has changed and i need to adapt and if that means that bo katan takes off her helmet so that she can go get others to join the cult then that's what it's going to be there is still there is still manipulation happening there for sure Mm. but um I do think that the the armor is altruistic from her point of view. I think that like she truly believes that Mandalorian culture is worth preserving. I mean, it, it is, but it, her 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 version of Mandalorian culture is worth preserving, and um, she's attempting to do that with the tools that she has at her disposal. Right, so. Is it, I don't know if it's like a, if it's a seed change of like, I thought for a second when like Bo walks up to Din and sort of gives him a look and then Din looks over at Paz and Paz looks back at him and, and they nod at each other. I thought they were going to take their helmets off. Oh, like wow. I, I was like, is, are we about to like, is everything about to change? I also thought that the armor originally yeah. i thought that she was going to take her helmet off i then, i thought the shot when when they were like back outside and everyone was looking i thought yeah. both of them were already going to have their helmets off yeah um but a little bummed it's yeah i i don't think we're there yet but i think that this is foreshadowing i think that's yeah. what it's meant to be it's a little bit murky at the moment but i but i do think that that's where we're headed is that like the traditions that they've had have sustained them but now they have an opportunity to move in a new direction and maybe some of the traditions can fall away right um we'll see we'll we'll see how it all plays out but i mean listen the armor is going to be unmasked one way or another by the end of this season that's my prediction hmm. i think that there will be a fight um i i think I think that she'll overstep and that 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 um that there will be some sort of a conflict and in that conflict either with Din or or I think more likely now with Bo-Katan that the helmet will get that the armor's helmet will get smashed. Um mm. and I think back to the imagery of her 
smashing the stormtrooper helmets with her tools in season one uh, <laughs> in that awesome awesome scene and i i think that we could see a scene now that we know the significance of the hammer and it's like whoever's holding the hammer gets to speak sort of thing i think mm-hmm. we might see a fight between Bo and the armorer where that hammer ends up in bo katan's hands and she just knocks that helmet off of the 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 armor's head but i think it'll be in a way of like the helmet will be like destroyed like it won't just be um knocked off or removed Mm. it'll be like (coughs) it'll like symbolically it will destroy the station that the armorer has where it's like nope now we listen to bo katan now like she's she's our leader now the armor no longer has a say um because now she's an apostate sort of thing so um and then i think i think it'll be like go go to mandalore like like go and bathe in the waters right like it's we've determined that it's safe anybody can go that path now so um yeah i think that though i think that they will do that i wouldn't be surprised if the fight ends up being in front of the mythosaur in the mines right like that like that like the armorer is like if like if the mythosaur is alive like if it does exist like if it if it's real then i'm gonna go and i'm gonna ride the mythosaur and and unite mandalore but i don't know but there's also the aspect of it that she's like just basically telling bo katan to do that so i don't know it's it's hard to get a read because she is at once saying things that that sound good but on the other hand until she takes that helmet off i don't trust her right yeah Right. Like, it's just, yeah, I don't trust her. If the we get a has fight, the little horns, like it just... if we get a, if we get a fight between those two in the mines on Mandalore, you're going to get a very expensive collect call from Europe for me. I'm going to say, all right, who do you know that's feeding you these things, Mike? You've been a little too accurate yeah. with some of your predictions. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, it's, it's what it what it comes down to is just sort of like and this is where it's hard with mandalorian because john favreau uses a lot of mythic archetypes and tropes but he is not adherent to them so like i'll use willow as an example john kasdan in the first few episodes it was like wait what's going on here is this because you remember like i watched that stuff early like way early Mm -hmm. like the beginning of november before everybody else got to see it. And I watched those first four episodes and was like, this is like, this is like too much. Like there's, there are too many things that are lining up here. I think I'm crazy. And I had to like, stop. Like I stopped. Cause I was like, I need to be able to discuss this with people. And I'm like, I am killing myself not being able to talk to people about this show. So I'm going to stop and wait for everybody else to get to watch the show. And then uh, Marie Claire and Missy started doing their breakdowns, their mythic breakdowns um, in like at, like at the beginning of the season. And in the first episode, Marie Claire is like, oh, okay, so this means this, and this means this, which means we're going to go here, here and here. And I was like, yeah, in the fourth episode, all of that stuff happens with great. <laughs> like she called it from the first episode. And the reason why she was able to do that is because John Kasdan was very clearly tapping into 
mythic archetypes and fairy tale storytelling. So it was very easy for the two of them for Marie Claire and Missy, who are experts on this stuff to look at it and go, if that's what this character is, which it was, and if that's what this character is, which she was, and this is this one and he's this one, it's like, okay, yeah, you guys are nailing all of this. Then the logical through point is that this is this and this is this and he's a dark prince and she's a hidden goddess and <laughs> blah 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 and it was like i it was so hard after they talked like out that first episode of following willow the what the force podcast following willow came out for me not to like go back to marie claire and be like you are 100 because they were like i don't know i think we're crazy like if we're crazy and then the second episode they're like this i don't i don't know like and i think like that's just that's because we're used to Star Wars taking this stuff and pulling it apart piecemeal and like using a little bit of this archetype here and using a little bit of this trope here. And George was really good at it, mm. right? Really, really good at it. Um, and he had guidance from Joseph Campbell when it came to Empire and Jedi. And Lawrence Kasdan was really good at it. Lawrence Kasdan is actually like one of the best. Because it's not just Star Wars, it's also Indiana Jones, it's everything that he's written. You're like, okay, you get it. You understand how these these archetypes and these tropes work, um, and you know when to use them and when to subvert them and all of that sort of thing. So, And obviously, he passed that on to his son. Uh, uh, not passed it on like... Oh, it's a it's a magical thing it's like no he like his son apprenticed under him basically right mm. he taught his both of his sons because i i i jake kasdan is an incredible producer and storyteller as well like the two of them make incredible stuff so i it's obvious that that, that the apples did not fall far from the tree and soaked up as much knowledge as they could but a lot of the stuff that I key into, that's what I'm trying to do, right? It, it's easier on Bad Batch because I think that Jennifer Corbett is also very good at using these these archetypes and like playing playing out these these storylines, which is why like I'm pretty confident about some of the stuff from the season finale and what's going to happen in season three um, when we get season three confirmed. But come on, let's be real. <laughs> I I they've already made it. It's already like half done i guarantee it um but yeah like like when when the when the archetypes and the tropes are tight you can you can call where the story's gonna go you can predict where it's gonna go doesn't this is one of those things is one of my one of my pet peeves with the way that people talk about movies and tv is that everybody thinks because of m night Shyamalan and jj abrams that a twist is good storytelling the best twists are the ones that you're sitting in the movie and like five minutes before the lead character gets there or whoever's going to figure out the twist five minutes before it happens, you figure it out because that means that it's organic. It's part of the story, right? Mm -hmm. And you've been given all of the information that you need in order to get to that point. Now there are great storytellers who subvert that, Ryan Johnson is one of those and glass onion is a really great example of that. And halfway through that movie, you're like, Oh, this is a different movie. Like this is actually, it's not what I thought it was, but here's the thing about that. He tells you that 15 minutes into the movie. So like you go back and you watch glass onion. It's like, eh, it's, it, but also 
it's in the title of the movie. It's a glass onion. Everything is clear. You can see the center of the onion. You can see right through it. It's a glass onion. That's the point. That's the analogy of the glass onion. It's an, it's needlessly complex and ridiculous. Anyways, that's like a whole other thing. <laughs> People are like, this movie is a, it's a bad twist. And it's like, no, no, that's a good twist. It's a very good twist. You're just too dumb to figure it out. He's his movies Damn. are just too intellectual. <laughs> I I the anti-intellectualism is on the rise right now. Like it's a real thing uh, that's fair. In, in American politics, and so people are like, I have to think. It's like I, it's like a Elijah Wood in uh, in Back to the Future too. It's like you got to use your hands. It's a baby's toy. Uh, people have this thing of like I have to use my brain to watch this movie. It's like yeah. Yeah, you you actually do need to do some of the work. It's a move. Film and television should be a conversation with the audience. It shouldn't be a one sided thing. It shouldn't be. Nothing should be explained, but everything should make sense. If that makes any sense whatsoever, like good storytelling. That's exactly how it should work is that it's like. I'm not going to beat you over the head with this with a very obvious etc whatever but it you should be able to figure this out right if you're paying attention to the right things mm. i don't think that a lot of people pay attention to the right things because i just don't think that media literacy is where it should be um and those of us who have it it's because we went out of our way to learn this stuff and i think like like i one of the main reasons why star wars gets misinterpreted so much is because there is a lack of media literacy and people don't know how to engage with these types of stories. But on the flip side of that, I would not be as media literate as I am if not for Star Wars. Because Star Wars was the first thing... uh, Gargoyles was really the first thing that I watched that taught me, like, there's something going on here that's not just the text. There is a thing underneath the text and then later on in life i would learn that that's called subtext in you know studying shakespeare you learn about subtext um but star wars was the first thing star wars is like media literacy for babies right where it's like the good guys wear white the bad guys wear black red lightsabers are bad guys blue lightsabers are good guys (laughs) right like like it is so much of it is surface Right. But then you get to return of the Jedi and you're like, why is Luke wearing all black? Why is Mm. his lightsaber green? Right. And that's George challenging the audience, the kids in the audience, the eight to 13 year olds that 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 story is intended for, where it's like in the first movie, it's really clear who the good guy and the bad guy is. Right. And then the second movie, we're still pretty clear who the good guys are and who the bad guys are, except we meet this Lando guy and we're like, is he? He's a good guy, right? It's like, well, no, he's actually kind of a bad guy, but he is a good guy by the end. He is actually, he, he does have a heart of gold, just like Han. So he is a good guy. And then with Vader, it's like, I am your father. And it's like, so wait, so you were Anakin Skywalker. What does that mean? And then you get to Return <laughs> of the Jedi and it's like, everything's murky and there's a lot of shades of gray and we got to work this out. And it's to teach kids that actually it's not as simple as good and evil. Right. And like, it's like the subtext, the text is the subtext in star Wars. And when it's at its best, that's like, that's what it does. Right. And it's like, it's like, 
the scenes in the last Jedi that everybody hates with Rose, where she's like, I just wish I could put my fist through this whole stupid, like beautiful town or whatever. Right. Like I, she comes right out and says exactly what the movie is about. And yet people still walk away from that movie, not understanding what that movie is about. Like, like it, it just, it, it's one of those things. It just, it drives me a little bit nuts, but John Favreau has come all the way back to that. He uses this stuff as shorthand, but there are times when <clears throat> he's, I don't think that John Favreau has done as much studying of Joseph Campbell and, um, and, and these archetypes. Yeah. This is the thing. I think that John Favreau has studied the stuff that Joseph Campbell wrote. I don't think that John Favreau has studied the stuff that Joseph Campbell studied. Whereas George Lucas was a student of Joseph Campbell and therefore went out and read the other stuff. He did the other homework. Right. And so he comes back and when he does a hero's journey, he's not just looking at, what Joseph Campbell had to say about it. He's looking at the things that informed Joseph Campbell's opinion on the hero's journey, because Joseph Campbell did not create the hero's journey. The hero's journey is a byproduct of storytelling. It happens because you tell a story, not the other way around. Right. And I think that John Favreau often is telling a hero's journey to tell a hero's journey. And <laughs> so there's a lot of places where he like, jams it in right and there's a lot of places where he goes like oh and now this is this part oh and now we have to go do this and now we're going to use this fairy tale over here and so it becomes very um it becomes very erratic where you're like wait are we okay so you set up that fairy tale trope over here and then you didn't pay it off you actually went in a different direction and paid off a different fairy tale trope over here okay but then you picked it up in the next season, but then you dropped it. And it's like, so it's, I'm not as confident predicting Mando as I am bad batch or mm. um, even like, like when we have conversations about Willow and what's going to happen in season two, when we eventually get season two of that, like I, like I'm very confident in knowing certain things that are going to happen. And, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm in, I'm in, incredible agreement with with marie claire and and if you go back and listen to the episode that i did with ty we have a lot of ideas in that one where it's like i'm i'm very confident in the assertions that i've made in that because i i john kasdan has been so clear in what he's doing with those characters um and where their journeys are gonna head in the next story so next part of that story i should say um all of that said like like I, there are things that I hope for with Mando by the end of this season. I don't know if we'll get it by the end of the season or if it'll be next season. There are things that I hope for, but I don't know that there are predictions as much as, as other things that I've predicted in the past. Um, just because of the fact of like, I don't know, every once in a while he throws us a curveball. It just goes a totally different way. You know, I, I, so I don't know. We'll see. It's, it's, it's like Grogu leaving was all totally predictable at the end of season two. Grogu immediately coming back <laughs> in the midst of Book of Boba Fett. 
I could not have seen coming. Um, and I, you know, I, I have my own theories on why that happens in the way that it happens, which might be part of the dissonance, but, but regardless, it is dissonant. It is like, wait a second, what? Okay. So Grogu's back now. And then we just continue on with the story. So all of that said, we'll see where it goes. I don't know. Was there anything else in this episode that you, uh, that you wanted to talk about? I mean, like we yeah. haven't even talked about the amazing dog fights. Yeah. I was just going to say there was a neat spaceship fight and it was yeah. great. It was a lot of fun. So good. It was just fun. It was fun. Star Wars. Uh, yeah. It was, I, I it, want it, that N one in every form of every toy. Oh my God. Uh, there's a, there's a Lego micro fighter coming out in August. Uh, August first. All right. So yeah. It's, uh, I want it, those. What are what are these? Um, the action fleet, like yeah. not action fleet toys. Now micro, I want that. Yeah, micro galaxy something or other. Yeah. I uh, yeah. Um, what is it? They're called Star Wars Micro Galaxy Squadron. That's what they're called. Yeah. I I guarantee it. I guarantee it's coming in the next wave. Uh, the Razor Crest is one of them already, right? So yeah, I'll I'll, yeah. I'll bet you anything by the end of this year we get that. Cool, uh, hope so. Well, oh my goodness, is there a is there a oh my goodness? What? There's a new there's another wave coming out. I haven't seen this yet. Um, this is on StarWars.com. There, I I Black Leader, uh, Poe Dameron's T seventy from from, uh, uh, The Force Awakens is is coming cool. out. Uh, Along with the V-Wing, General Grievous's Starfighter. Oh, okay. Uh, Anakin's Jedi Starfighter. I have Obi Wan's, uh, but Anakin's is coming out. His, his is that the uh, is that Attack of the Clones or Revenge of the Sith? Technically, it's Clone Wars. Um, oh, cool! With the the sender R two yeah. unit. Yeah. Nice. I'm trying. To, cool. I'm trying to remember my yeah the the Obi Wan one that they put out is also. Uh, Clone Wars. Okay. Uh, Clone Wars era, because it's the center. The center one as well. Uh, and then Plo Koon's Jedi Starfighter as well. All right. So, a lot of Jedi Starfighter. You're getting a lot of... Uh, a, a lot, because a lot also Ala Secura's Jedi Interceptor is also coming in this wave. Oh, but okay. It's the rare chase figure. One of uh, 15,000 okay. rare... The, the Plo Koon one is also a chase figure. It's weird how they're doing that. And then a first well, order TIE fighter in case anybody cares. And Anakin's interceptor as well. So two two Anakin Jedi Starfighters in the same wave. Uh, perfect. We need And a... Obi Wan's Jedi Interceptor. Oh all in God. the same wave. So a lot of a lot of repaint like in this wave. And the Munalist uh, uh Republic gunship. No. Yeah. You're lying to me. Send me nope. this right now. Not I at need all. it. I need it. I need it yesterday. You, I'm just gonna send you the image. Can I here. can I tell you that I've been fawning over the Republic gunship one for like yeah. weeks, and Carl sent it to me, and they have Fordo. I yeah, I didn't. I wanted you to see it for yourself. Die. I, I didn't want I am, to say it out loud. I am going yeah. to die. When is this coming out? Where is this going to be available? I think, I think maybe it's spring 2023. So it, they should be hitting shelves soon. Even says it says Mutalist Ten. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god. Where's Fordo in the Bad Batch? Come on. Like, I know I'm whiny about Delta Squad. Give me f- one Fordo, please. 
Oh my god. Yep. There you go. Oh my god. Oh my god, I need That it. is the best deco for any of the gunships. And there've yeah, been a lot of really I cool ones. Adore but the, the Munilus deco is like that's the best one. Oh god. Oh my god, I need it. <laughs> I need it so bad. I need this more than the N1. Yeah. I I never dared to even dream. I this these toys are awesome cuz I have yeah. I've got I've got the Jedi, I've got Obi-Wan's Jedi Starfighter, I have the Millennium Falcon, and I have Luke's X-Wing. I have, I have Red 5. Um, and and I do, part of me really wants the Razor Crest, but I'm also kind of like, eh. Um, and I will get Obi-Wan's Interceptor as well, because uh, anytime there's an Obi-Wan ship. Especially if it's the Maroon, if it's, if it's the Republic Maroon. One, even more so. I want it. I have to have it. Um, but they haven't done a V-19 yet. They need mm. to do a V-19. Because, like, that... Man, the V-19 never gets love. It never... That's not true. They put out a, a X-Wing miniatures set with Obi-Wan's Jedi Starfighter and two V-Wings. Or, not, not V-Wings. Two V-19s. And it's a little bit ridiculous that I haven't bought it. Um, because... The V nineteen is probably like like I don't know it's probably like number three on of my favorite starfighters mm. in Star Wars. So I should really? start ships in Star Wars because it's like is the X wing is number one. the The Delta Seven, the the first Jedi starfighter, is number two, and then the V nineteen is number three. I love that ship so much. Which again, if it, it same debut episode as the uh, as the uh, the or is it are they both in the same episode? As that Republic gunship, because the V nineteen was created for Clone Wars, for, right? For for the Clone Wars micro series, um, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think that first episode ends with the gunships launching, right? No, or is that the, the beginning second, of the second episode? That's the second episode. Okay, because the first episode is like the montage of like all the stuff and like when uh Padme gives R2 to Anakin uh and then they head off to war and uh and then it's and then it starts with the space battle, right? With the, yes. with him and his in his Jedi starfighter. Uh yeah. We don't Fantastic actually stuff. see this gunship until chapter 21 though when they really? go to hypori yeah because the gunship that they're in crashes that's a it's like a regular gunship oh yeah that's right that's right hmm. i it's been so long so i mean well, i guess i watched season one of the micro series when that all got added to disney plus but i haven't i haven't watched season two mm. I, just, I don't know season two is not quite as good but uh Still cool stuff. But I don't know. It's got that episode, baby. It does. That's uh, like my. That might be my favorite episode. Twenty one. Yeah. We're so far off track, <laughs> uh, but I think right. it's because I think it's, I think it's because we did it. I mean, I think I, we did. Well, it. I think we I I have a quick question for you because unfortunately, yeah, sure. this is our last time talking Mandalorian this season together. Yeah, I will be heading off to Star Wars Celebration next week. So, Mike, you are going to be joined by a host of guests guests that i'm sure are going to be wonderful 
and do a much better job than me. But uh, while we're here, while we're together, Mike, what was your favorite moment of season three so far? Um, I mean, I think it's I think it's Kellerin. Yeah. So far, <laughs> that, that yeah, that is just like, um. I tweeted it like the best of all possible scenarios. I both for the story itself, who Kellerin is in the lore, like because of Jedi temple challenge, what that character means, like why, why he exists in the first place. Um, And then as well, the meta narrative of Grogu, possibly like the most cherished character in star Wars right now, Mm. right. Being rescued by the actor who played Jar Jar Banks, who was unfairly roasted in 1999 for just like, like for just like for just doing the job. Right. And like, again, because of a lack of media literacy, because of the weird scenario and especially in 99 us not fully understanding because like really like if you really really think about it the phantom menace is the first wave of the whole like hey uh we're gonna tell a sequel although it's a prequel we're gonna continue a story from a beloved franchise 20 years later mm. right i and so it was the first time that we learned the lesson of, oh crap, if you were eight when you first saw Star Wars and it's now been, what's the, what's the, what's the, it's 22 years, right? 77 to 99, right? So it's been 22 years and now you're a 30 year old man. <laughs> what you want from Star Wars has changed in that time. But mm-hmm. Star Wars itself has not changed in the eyes of George Lucas, who was a man. I mean, like, yes, a young man, but a man when he wrote Star Wars for a child's entertainment. Right. Like for for like for like it has always been intended for kids, for eight to 13 year olds. Right. These are fairy tales, modern fairy tales for kids. That's what they were always supposed to be. And Jar Jar showing up is absolutely 100% in line with that. Mm-hmm. And look, I was I was 13. I was right at the edge of of acceptable and I, was I a mature 13? In some ways I was mature and in other ways very immature. So and in those immature ways I remain that immature. So I I that is also the part of me that still loves Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> and I think that if more people could have had the perspective of an eight to 13 year old when they watched the Phantom Menace, instead of asking star Wars to be something that it was not. And you have to remember that like in the interim, we got dark empire and we got the Thrawn trilogy and we'd even gotten um, at that point, we were starting the new Jedi order, right? Uh, Vector prime had already happened. So like Chewbacca's already dead, you guys. Like, <laughs> no. like that's that's where we're at. We're t- like the novels are telling darker, more mature Star Wars stories. They grew up with the audience, 
they needed to in order to sell, right? Mm. But George didn't care about what the novels were doing. George was going to tell the stories that he was going to tell, which are fairy tales for kids. And so, like, Ahmed Best got the short end of that stick, as did Jake Lloyd, right? Like, and it's and it's completely unfair because I think that, like, I think I don't think that there is a an eight year old, ten year old, however old Jake Lloyd was at the time, that's going to live up to that. You know, um, and and George is not I, I shouldn't say there isn't that, you know, I'm sure that there was somebody out there who could have pulled that off. <clears throat> Jake Lloyd was not going to be that guy because not not for his failings, because there are other movies that Jake Lloyd is in where he's perfectly fine. He's a he's a perfectly fine actor mm. as a kid. Right. He's he's actually he's quite good in Jingle All the Way. Right. Like he's like against <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger. And Sinbad, he's a, he, he does the job exactly as well as he needs to in that movie. Um, but George is not an actor's director, and kids need to be handled a certain way, and George wasn't that guy. Um, and so, you know, that, that performance comes across as, as a little bit wooden and a little bit, a little bit odd, and then it translates into Hayden Christensen's performance as well. I find it's 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 ridiculously radically consistent actually with um with Darth Vader like it the Darth Vader's performance is also actually because it's James Earl Jones we give it a lot of leeway because his voice is so just buttery you know it's just delicious <laughs> um but the dialogue and the line delivery is actually like very, very one note, especially in a new hope, right? Like he's like, like Vader's kind of got two modes in that movie. It's quiet, angry and loud, angry. And that's it. (laughs) Uh, uh, And even in empire, it's a lot. We don't get a lot of loud, angry in empire. We get mostly quiet, angry. Um, It's not until return of the Jedi that we start to get some of that actual um, pathos from Vader. Right. And I think we have a hard time remembering that, that like it's not really there uh, for those those other two movies. Um, But yeah, like I just like like Jake Lloyd and Ahmed Best got short shrift in that deal uh, and then were the butt of jokes. And then Red Letter Media comes along and uh, makes it really cool to crap all over other people's hard work. you know, <laughs> 10 years after the fact, uh, which it's, it's really easy to look at pioneering technology 10 years later and go, they didn't do this. Right. It's like, yeah, well, you know that now in a like time period after sky captain, the world of tomorrow, but like that hadn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. These things hadn't happened yet. George was like, I think I can do it. I think I can make a fully digital character. And go back and watch Phantom Menace on Disney Plus or if you can get like the Blu-rays. Like go and watch the Phantom Menace and look at Jar Jar. Really look at Jar Jar and Sebulba. Those characters are 100% believable. That was 1999. <laughs> there is only one other movie that holds up that, that has CG that holds up that well and it's Jurassic Park. And both instances are, do you think we can do this? I don't know. 
we better pull it off though <laughs> right like because if we don't pull it off this all breaks yeah um good. and and so in both instances you end up with something that stands the test of time because the care and attention was put into it as opposed to like later on down the road other movies would come along and do stuff and you're like i don't know if that's aged that well i'm gonna be perfectly honest and people are probably gonna roast me for this one i don't think that the lord of the rings holds up i don't i don't think really? that Gollum holds up I, I think that Gollum looks like a CG character and I don't think that Jar Jar looks like a CG character in every shot. I think there are shots where he does for sure. Right. And it's like mileage varies across that movie. There are scenes in the Phantom Menace where Jar Jar is just standing in the background and he's just another character and you're not going like, what is that weird CG character? And then there are scenes there. Are, there are scenes more often than not. It's been a really long time since I've watched Lord of the Rings. Uh, like like actually like sat and watched the movies but like whenever clips pop up or i see like a gif or whatever um it's always like i'm always like mm, Gollum, the performance is there and i think that's the pioneering aspect is that like the performance capture of andy circus's performance translated into the animation of that character is what everybody keys into and so you forget that he's a cg character and you look past his shininess and the uncanny valley aspect of that character because the because andy circus is anti circus right <clears throat> which like i mean like he 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 there are three movies where he plays caesar in the planet of the apes movies <laughs> he barely speaks he barely speaks and i think he should have won an academy award like his performance across those three movies is i don't think that there's another actor alive right now that could do what he did in those movies. And I think that that comes across in Gollum as well. Right. But Ahmed best did it first. And Andy Serkis says that. Right. And, and I, I think there's even like a, an interview where he almost like apologizes for it, where he's like, you know, like, like people talk about me as like the guy who pioneered this stuff. And, and I've been happy to like let them, but Ahmed best is the guy who did it first. Right. Like Mm. this guy, like he's, I owe everything to him because we wouldn't have been able to do what we did had they not done what they did on the Phantom Menace. Right. And so to have him come back with this character that he helped craft, because when they did Jedi temple, temple challenge, I, he worked with the, it was cause it was the star Wars.com star Wars show team that put together Jedi temple challenge. They like, they came to Ahmed and said, do you want to play this character? And he came back and went, I have some ideas and they went awesome. Right. Because he's just as big a star Wars fan as we are. He has his view of the force. That is Keller and Beck's view of the force. And um, so to see that character show up in splendid glory, (laughs) I, and then to just like, crush in the way that he does and save the day and then and then to cap it all off with a nod of like a like a friend of mine has arranged transport or whatever it is that he says and then we get there and it's very clearly the the nabu starship from attack of the clones that padme used when she was senator and now who's the senator in revenge Mm -hmm. of the sith it's jar jar Mm -hmm. right so Jar Jar is the one Jar Jar and Kellerin <laughs> so are so responsible good. 
for Grogu escaping Order 66. And that's just it's, like... It's so good, man. It's so good. People people have have inappropriately thrown around the word redemption, and I don't need to add to that echo chamber of, of that part of the conversation. I agree with everything that everybody has said about that. The words... There are two things to that. I would say it is not Ahmed Best's redemption. It's his vindication. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like, that's a good word for it. it. That's what it is. And if anybody needs to be redeemed, it's Star Wars fans. And this is our opportunity to redeem ourselves and lift him up and say, holy crap, Ahmed Best is incredible and i want more right and so like i i really really genuinely hope it's not the last that we see of kellerin and grogu i and 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 man i don't think it's too much to hope to dream to pray for a scene <laughs> where ahmed plays across from himself yeah i think we're gonna get it i think we're gonna get it um and and I think like that's a great opportunity to bring Jar Jar back in and to like like let's let's do a performance of Jar Jar with some real and and I think it's I mean I think that there are some scenes in Attack of the Clones with Jar Jar and I think that like the 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 visual he doesn't get to say anything in Revenge of the Sith but the visual of Jar Jar at the end of that movie at Padme's funeral is like there's some real pathos there but I mm. think that we have an opportunity to tell a story that happens immediately after that scene with Kellerin and Jar Jar yeah. and Grogu. And um, cause, cause we now need to, now we know who got him out of the temple. Now we need to know what happened that, he, that Grogu ends up with pirates on some backwater planet. Yeah. 30 years later. Right. Um, so obviously some stuff goes down in between there. I, but I think, I I don't know. I I hope, I hope that we get to see Kellerin as part of the path. Um, that we get some stories with Kellerin and Quinlan. Oh my God. A bunch of that. Oh my God. Please. And then to find out what happens to the path and how that falls apart. Cause I think that it does now Jedi survivor comes out in, in a month. And Jedi Survivor, I think, is going to tie into the story of the path because the trailer that we just got has to do... You ask one question and we go for another 20 minutes. You're the worst. Um, Well, last time, so... Yeah. We got... Essentially, the plot of Jedi Survivor is that Cal is looking for a new place for the Jedi... Where... where, um, Jedi will be safe from the empire. Right. right? And I listen, maybe this is crazy. Maybe this is exactly where it's all going. I think that by the end of that game, you will have established that. I think that there will be a reason why Cal can't stay there um, and has to leave because there's going to be there. There. They want to make a third game. They want to make a trilogy of games. Right. So Mm. I think there'll be a reason why, like, I think that Seer will will stay there as like the custodian of this new place, this new Jedi temple, Jedi enclave, whatever you want to call it. And Cal will have to go back out into the galaxy in order to protect it. Um, and in order to throw the, the empire off the trail sort of thing and deal with the inquisitors. But I think that what we could end up with is a story eventually that, 
because I, I think it'll be in the unknown regions. It's the only way that it works. Um, that's the only thing that's outside the reach of the empire, right? I and I I wouldn't be surprised if Ahsoka and Ezra end up at the end of the path by the end of this Mando stuff. Mm-hmm. That like that that somewhere in the galaxy there is actually a whole bunch of Jedi and maybe they're not Jedi anymore. Maybe there's something they've, they've evolved into something else in terms of like, like a, a, an organization, right? The organization has evolved into something else, something different from the Jedi order, but that there is somewhere out there, the remnants of the Jedi order. And that Ezra will have found that. Um, and and Ahsoka will find him and find that and it'll connect back to the path. But then at some point the path broke down. Like at some point, and I think that that will either happen in Jedi Survivor or in the third Jedi game. I I and that like that. But but there's an opportunity there to fill in some blanks and tell a story with Kellerin and Quinlan and some of these other characters. It's like I I don't know why you established that Koran Horn is one of those kids. Right. Yeah. If you're not going to do something with that, it's, it's a waste to say that that's Koran horn, um, uh, in the Obi-Wan series, right. If you're not going to play that out. So, uh, and then all of that can tie into whatever happens with Ray and Finn and the Jedi in the sequel era, um, which eventually they have to tell those stories. They have to, uh, they have to because I will force them. I will <laughs> do whatever I have to do. This is not I, a request. No, it's not a request. Kara uh, asks me on a regular basis, uh, like, when are they going to make more movies with Ray? And I'm just like, I don't know, kid. I don't know. <laughs> she doesn't care about any other Star Wars, really. Like, like it really doesn't matter to her. She she doesn't uh, uh-huh. click with, with very much of it. That's she likes Ahsoka. She likes Ahsoka and she likes Ray, and so like I'm interested to see if I can get her to watch Ahsoka when that oh. starts. Um, <clears throat> and, Has she but seen they... any live action Rosario stuff yet? I don't know. No, because she hasn't watched The Mandalorian at all. Okay. Um, she watched. She's watched. I shouldn't say that she hasn't watched any of it because I'm sure that it's been on in the background while mm. while she's been around but she hasn't like sat down to watch it it's not really i i don't think that a six-year-old is gonna really like jam on uh, on the mandalorian it's a sure. it can be a little bit slow at times but uh well i just meant more like so i was just curious what younger kids if they feel like there's a, a disconnect between you know ashley cartoon ahsoka versus rosario yeah. ahsoka for us it's easy but like to a kid, I'm curious, does it feel like the same character? Which one do they like more? Oh, it's even easier for them. It's cool. even easier for them. Because for Kara, I, Mickey Mouse in 2D is the same as Mickey Mouse in 3D is the same as Mickey Mouse when she stands next to him at Disneyland. Yeah. Same guy. Same guy. No difference. No difference. So, like, the 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 current, like like, world of Mickey Mouse animated stuff right where like the like the 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 newest design stuff Mm. that is the same mickey mouse that she sees like she watches (laughs) that and then we'll watch like mickey mouse clubhouse 
and where he's like classic Mickey in 3D sure. acting like it's a preschool kid show because it is but totally different characters in my opinion like from my perspective I'm like these are different Mickey Mouses like this is multiverse stuff um, <laughs> and then we go to Disneyland and she stands next to Mickey Mouse to take a picture and it's like that's the same guy it's the same guy they film him and then he's in the cartoons that's how that works we watched who framed roger rabbit we know how this works right like it's like in her world listen when we went to galaxy's edge and we rode rise of resistance uh on my birthday last year car and i got on that ride she's in her ray costume she's got her staff i her middle name is ray i we are on that ride You get in the transport and the transport starts moving and the screens are on, which are windows. And we're looking out and there's a Mon Cal flying that ship. He's right there. You can see him. You can see out the windows. Poe Dameron's talking to us. And then you get caught in that tractor beam and pulled into that Star Destroyer and those doors open and you are in the hangar of a Star Destroyer, just like in the movies. And you look out that hangar and you see outer space and tie fighters flying by she genuinely thought that we were in outer space (laughs) like i'm like like no word of a lie i am not exaggerating this is not hyperbole we get in the little the little uh, uh transport thing like the little um the little droid cars right Mm -hmm. and that's going around and that's a droid that's a real droid just like r2d2 uh, and you, you know, at the end when Kylo Ren is like, he's got the lightsaber out and he's in front of you and he's like, he's like, you stop. And he uses the force on, on mm. the, the, the ride vehicle. And then the, sh- the ship collapses. Right. Mm. And, uh, and, and you get away. He's doing this. He's using the force on the thing. And I turn to car and I go, use the force back. Like, push him. Use the force. And she does it. She puts her hand out. She pushes. And the thing comes down. And the, and the, and the vehicle, like, immediately, like, releases and keeps going. And she turns to me and she goes, I did it for real. And I was like, I was like, you did. You did. You saved us. You saved us all. Um, and this is the wild thing. She then wrote it again, like, 15 minutes later. And the same thing happens. And she still comes back and she's like, I did it again, dad. (laughs) Like she 100% believes that. And I just, I wish, I wish that I could turn off whatever crap is in my brain that stops me from believing that magic. But for her, like she will, I hope always have that memory of that first time she rode rise of the resistance and believed for real that we got on a spaceship. And we went into outer space. She came home and she told her friends, like, I went to outer space. And they were like, what? <laughs> She's like, yeah, I went to Star Wars land and I went to outer space and I fought Kylo Ren. And it's like, she did. She did. Um, and I'll go back to what Qui-Gon says, which is your focus determines your reality. And as far as Kara is concerned, that's what happened. So Kara looks at Ahsoka, Tano, in the cartoon she looks at the doll that she's got because she's got the forces of destiny doll um the action figures that she's got i think do we have the toy box one no she has a different 
maybe we do have the toy box one. I don't know. She's got an Ahsoka figure. I uh, and I, uh, I uh, when we went back in October, we brought them home stuff. We got Cassie a bunch of Droid Depot stuff. Cassie doesn't care about Star Wars either, except for droids. Like <laughs> droids, droids are the coolest thing in the world, and she's got her little droid from the from the Droid Depot. Um, and we got her some accessories for her droid. Um, so that she could change the color of it and um and a little like the little tool belt the the droid depot tool belt and when she whenever she gets out her droid she also has to get out the tool belt and put it on and like get all geared up she's like this is my work stuff yeah uh, i mean obviously come on dad obviously um but we got Kara the we got her the ahsoka mickey ears because they like they're it's like a pretty perfect like little ahsoka headband for her um, even though it's got the Mickey Mouse ears on the top of it, it doesn't matter. Um, and then, and we got her the Ahsoka costume and the lightsabers, not the nice ones, like the toy one. Um, <laughs> Tina bought the nice ones. Tina wanted to dress up as Ahsoka yeah. too, so she's like, "I want the lightsabers." Um, yeah, so like we, uh, Halloween nowadays is not just one one night for kids. It's like, well, on on the Saturday we're going to go trick or treating, but on Friday we'll go to the mall and do the event at the mall or whatever. So like they, they, they end up with multiple costumes because mm. <laughs> it's like, you can wear the same thing the whole time or you can wear all these other things. Um, at least our kids. I, I, cause we're terrible parents because we're the best parents. I, <laughs> I, cause we just give them everything that they could ever want. So Kara wore that when we went to the mall, when we went to the shopping center and went trick or treating, she wore her Ahsoka costume she was pretty excited about that so she loves ahsoka but on the flip side she's never watched anything she's watched she's watched forces of destiny um she's watched like most of those because they're just the little shorts or whatever but Mm. she doesn't watch them in a long time she was a little kid she watched those uh basically when they were coming out i think yeah they're pretty old um i but i she just knows who Ahsoka is and thinks that Ahsoka is cool. Like she just, she doesn't really, she's watched all of the sequel trilogy movies and she's watched the original trilogy and we've watched Phantom Menace and half of Attack of the Clones. That's as far as we made it in the prequels, which is fair uh, for I mean, this. This would have been back in 2020. So back when she was like four, four and a half, hmm. um, so she hasn't quite made it through everything and she doesn't have the attention span for all of it, but I, yeah, she, she doesn't care that much about star Wars, but she cares about Ray and she cares about Ahsoka. So I'm really, I'm crossing my fingers that when we get to Ahsoka that like, I'll be able to get her to sit down and watch it. Cause it'll have Ahsoka, Sabine and Hera. Yeah. Right. Like it's got and three, maybe Zeb <laughs> and, and maybe Zeb. It's got three badass star Wars ladies right there in it and so i'm hoping that that um that usually helps her connect when she Mm. sees characters that she can see herself in um so yeah i don't know we'll see but uh mando is not her jam i do i i can tell you already that she she's not gonna care if i tried to get her to sit and watch the mandalorian she likes but who doesn't yeah uh that's it. I, we did it. We, we did, did it. it, and then we did it again. We did do it. We did do it. Uh, and you're you're off to Star Wars Celebration soon. I'm going. Uh, <laughs> I'm very jealous, but also you're not going to actually... 
you you'll be at Star Wars Celebration, but you won't really be at Cel- Star Wars Celebration because you're gonna be stuck at your table the whole time. So you know what the- though, I yeah. I my favorite thing about Celebration every time is going and hanging out with people that I really like being around that I don't get to be around often. So that's that I get to do that makes it worth it. Also, uh, the trip is gonna pay for itself because I'm selling prints and they're doing yeah. pretty okay. So cool. So- I so if you are going to be at Star Wars Celebration Europe, make sure that you head over to the Artist Alley and say hi to Joe. Yeah, you don't don't feel like you have to buy anything. Just come say hey. Yeah, um, yeah, awesome. Uh, I'll be back next week. I don't know who the guest is going to be next week. I have the, I have a guest lined up for the week after that, but but I got to figure out who's going to be on the next mm. one. Look, if it comes down to it, I'll just make Kyle come on, and then he can just disagree <laughs> with whatever I have to say about the episode. But uh, I'll just be like, I really liked it. And he'll be like, yeah, I thought that I didn't, though. But he would would know the uh, Knights of the Republic reference that we were pulling before. He would. He would. Uh, Yeah. So I guess guess he's got that going for him. No, we give him a hard time. But yeah, if worse comes to worse, I guess I could just bring Kyle on. Um, But uh, we'll have guests for the rest of the season. And I... Go make sure you check out. Uh, hopefully, you're watching Bad Batch as well, and uh, and listening to Rebel Cells. So we just did our our uh, season finale episode of that right before we recorded this, and it's a good one. And uh, yeah, and we'll be talking about Star Wars Visions and Young Jedi Adventures uh, on Rebel Cells in the near future. So make sure you're subscribed over there because those will be coming at some point. Uh, in May, uh, after those those things drop, um, but we'll keep talking about Mando as long as there are new episodes of Mando to talk about. I'm sure that we'll also yeah. probably talk about uh, Jedi Survivor after we've had a chance to play it. Yeah, uh, which and comes out in, in a month. So you and I are doing a perfect ten in May too, if I recall right. Or is that we new? are, and it's okay. a secret what it is. Okay, I will keep my mouth shut. I've been then. I've been teasing it, and, I'll, <laughs> and but I will drop a hint which is that uh there is a major release in may mm. that joe and i are both excited about that is not star wars i uh, could it be I, so i don't know you know go figure out another thing that joe is pretty obsessed with i don't uh, know what you're talking about yeah um yeah no it doesn't doesn't have anything to do with anything important in your life it's it's not not. ghostbusters (laughs) it's not ghostbusters uh although although hey listen listen i mean we got a ghostbusters movie coming later this year i know we've already done perfect 10 ghostbusters but we could also do perfect 10 the real ghostbusters so i'm okay uh, i'm in yeah yeah it's fine it's fine we'll get there when uh, the movie's coming out we can also do ghostbusters afterlife because that movie is a perfect 10 too. Oh, i adore that film i uh, yeah so i don't know listen you and i could just talk about we could talk about ghostbusters 2 as a perfect 10 we can make that movie a perfect 10 i don't i don't need it or to dude it already this. is it's exactly. like okay i almost i almost ruined the the perfect 10 we're gonna do uh i I think Ghostbusters 1 is a better film, but I like Ghostbusters 2 more because that's my Ghostbusters movie. That's the first film I ever saw in a movie theater. I watched it a thousand times as a child before I ever even saw the first one. Like, Ghostbusters 2 is my Ghostbusters movie, as much as I love Ghostbusters 1. So, I would have no problem with that. There is no end of Ghostbusters 
perfect 10 content because we could also talk <laughs> about ghostbusters the video game we could also talk about the idw ghostbusters comic book series because i think that it is like the first few volumes of that are definitely perfect 10 material uh, dude there's lots of extreme ghostbusters. ghostbusters is a perfect 10 dude, for me extreme I ghostbusters is a perfect 11 baby Come i on. love that show it's yeah, just so exactly. underrated i hate it so i all that to say we're not going to talk about Ghostbusters in May, but we could <laughs> no, talk about Ghostbusters forever. I, I, that is one thing that Kara is definitely into awesome. 110%. Awesome. Uh, Ghostbusters and Avatar are like her geeky things. Uh, so she's a weird kid, uh, which is exactly the way I want her. I, <laughs> I, so it's by design. It's on purpose. Awesome. Thank you, Joe, for covering as much of uh, Mando as you have been able to cover with me this season. It is a shame that you're going to be busy in Europe, uh, hanging out and doing cool things, eating croissants and baguettes and scones. Did I tell you uh, during our Norway trip, we're going to Fince? So going to Hoth, baby. We are going to Hoth. I'm very Uh, excited. Well, just be careful because your tauntaun will re- uh, freeze before you reach the first marker. I will see you in hell. Oh, maybe Excellent. I'll see if uh, Carl and Jason are in the Wampa's Lair over there. <laughs> uh, excellent. On that note, thank you everybody for listening. I'll be back next week. Joe will be in Europe at Star Wars Celebration, so go see him. Give him a big old kiss on the face for me. I. Mm. Uh, Uh, And, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Thunderquack Force Perspectives. Our opening theme is composed for us by Christy Carew. Follow Force Perspectives on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at ForcePOV. And join us on Discord at thunderquack.com slash discord. Support the show by visiting us at patreon.com slash thunderquack to get early access to episodes, leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast service, or buy merch at store.thunderquack.com. Force Perspectives is a part of the Thunderquack Podcast Network.